Section eight of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume two by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. His prejudice against Scotland appeared remarkably strong at this time. When I talked of our advancement in literature, footnote, the advancement had been very rapid. When Dr. Robertson's career commenced, writes Dugald Stewart in his Life of that historian, the trade of authorship was unknown in Scotland. Smollett in Humphrey Clinker, published three years after this conversation, makes Mr. Bramble write, letter of August the 8th, Edinburgh is a hotbed of genius. I have had the good fortune to be made acquainted with many authors of the first distinction, such as the two Humes, and square brackets David Hume and John Hume, spelt H-O-M-E, whose names had the same pronunciation. Robertson, Smith, Wallace, Blair, Ferguson, Wilkie, etc. To these might be added Smollett himself, Boswell, Reed, Beattie, Kames, Monboddo. Henry Mackenzie and Dr. Henry began to publish in 1771. Gibbon, writing to Robertson in 1779, says, I have often considered with some sort of envy the valuable society which you possess in so narrow a compass. Stuart's Robertson, end of footnote. Sir, said he, you have learnt a little from us and you think yourselves very great men. Hume would never have written history had not Voltaire written it before him. He is an echo of Voltaire. Footnote. See post April thirtieth, seventeen 1773, where Johnson owned that he had not read Hume. J. H. Burton, Life of Hume, after stating that Hume was the first to add to a mere narrative of events an inquiry into the progress of the people, etc., says, There seems to be no room for the supposition that he had borrowed the idea from Voltaire's Essay sur les Meurs. Hume's own political discourses are as close an approach to this method of inquiry as the work of Voltaire, and if we look for such productions of other writers as may have led him into this train of thought, it will be more just to name Bacon and Montesquieu. End of footnote. But, sir, we have Lord Keynes. Johnson. You have Lord Keynes. Keep him. <laughs> we don't envy you him. Do you ever see Dr. Robertson? Boswell. Yes, sir. Johnson. Does the dog talk of me? Boswell. Indeed, sir, he does, and loves you. Thinking that I now had him in a corner, and being solicitous for the literary fame of my country, I pressed him for his opinion on the merit of Dr. Robertson's History of Scotland. But to my surprise, he escaped. Sir, I love Robertson, and I won't talk of his book. It is but justice, both to him and Dr. Robertson, to add that, though he indulged himself in this sally of wit, he had too good taste not to be fully sensible of the merits of that admirable work. An essay written by Mr. Dean, a divine of the Church of England, 
maintaining the future life of brutes by an explication of certain parts of the scriptures was mentioned and the doctrine insisted on by a gentleman who seemed fond of curious speculation Footnote. an essay on the future life of brutes by richard dean curate of middleton manchester seventeen sixty seven the part of the scriptures on which the author chiefly relies is the epistle to the romans chapter eight verses nineteen to twenty three he also finds support for his belief in those passages in isaiah where the prophet speaks of new heavens and a new earth of the lion as eating straw like the ox etc End of footnote johnson who did not like to hear of anything concerning a future state which was not authorised by the regular canons of orthodoxy discouraged this talk and being offended at its continuation he watched an opportunity to give the gentleman a blow of reprehension so when the poor speculatist with a serious metaphysical pensive face addressed him but really sir when we see a very sensible dog we don't know what to think of him johnson rolling with joy at the thought which beamed in his eye turned quickly round and replied true sir and when we see a very foolish fellow we don't know what to think of him he then rose up strided to the fire and stood for some time laughing and exulting i told him that i had several times when in italy seen the experiment of placing a scorpion within a circle of burning coals that it ran round and round in extreme pain and finding no way to escape retired to the centre and like a true stoic philosopher darted its sting into its head and thus at once freed itself from its woes this must end them Footnote the words that addison's cato uses as he lays his hand on his sword act five scene one end of footnote i said this was a curious fact as it showed deliberate suicide in a reptile johnson would not admit the fact he said maupetrie was of opinion that it does not kill itself but dies of the heat that it gets to the centre of the circle as the coolest place that its turning its tail in upon its head is merely a convulsion and that it does not sting itself Footnote. i should think it impossible not to wonder at the variety of johnson's reading however desultory it may have been who could have imagined that the high church of england man would be so prompt in quoting maupertuis who i am sorry to think stands in the list of those unfortunate mistaken men who call themselves esprit fort i however have a high respect for that philosopher whom the great frederick of prussia loved and honoured and addressed pathetically in one of his poems maupetuis cher maupetuis que notre vie est peu de choses there was in maupetuis a vigour and yet a tenderness of sentiment united with strong intellectual powers and uncommon ardour of soul would he had been a christian i cannot help earnestly venturing to hope that he is one now boswell voltaire writing to d'alembert on august twenty fifth seventeen fifty nine says 
Que dites-vous de Maupertuis? Mort entre deux caps saints. Voltaire's work. The stanza from which Boswell quotes is as follows. O Maupertuis, cher Maupertuis, que notre vie est peu de choses. Cette fleur qui brille aujourd'hui, demain se femme la pain close. Pour périr, tu es emporté par la dure fatalité des arrêts de la destinée. Votre vertu, vos grands talents, ne pourront obtenir du temps, du seul délai, d'une journée. La vie est un songe, œuvre de Frédéric II. He said he would be satisfied if the great anatomist Morgagni, after dissecting a scorpion on which the experiment had been tried, should certify that its sting had penetrated into its head. He seemed pleased to talk of natural philosophy. That woodcocks, said he, fly over to the northern countries is proved, because they have been observed at sea. Swallows certainly sleep all the winter. A number of them conblobulate together. Footnote. Johnson does not give conblobulate in his dictionary, only conglobe. If he used the word, it is not likely that he said conglobulate together. End of footnote. By flying round and round, and then all in a heap throw themselves under water, and lie in the bed of the river. Footnote. Gilbert White, writing on November the 4th, 1767, after mentioning that he had seen swallows roosting in osier beds by the river, says, This seems to give some countenance to the northern opinion, strange as it is, of their retiring underwater. White's Selborne. See also post May the 7th, 1773. End of footnote. He told us one of his first essays was a Latin poem upon the glow-worm. I am sorry I did not ask where it was to be found. Talking of the Russians and the Chinese, he advised me to read Bell's Travels, footnote, Travels from St. Petersburg in Russia to divers parts of Asia, by John Bell, Glasgow, 1763, quarto, two volumes, end of footnote. I asked him whether I should read Du Hal's account of China. Footnote. Isaac Disraeli, Curiosities of Literature, ranks this book among literary impostures. Du Hal never travelled ten leagues from Paris in his life, though he appears by his writings to be familiar with Chinese scenery. End of footnote. Why, well, yes, said he, as one reads such a book, that is to say, consulted. He talked of the heinousness of the crime of adultery, by which the peace of families was destroyed. He said, Confusion of progeny constitutes the essence of the crime, and therefore a woman who breaks her marriage vows is much more criminal than a man who does it. A man, to be sure, is criminal in the sight of God, but he does not do his wife a very material injury if he does not insult her, 
if for instance from mere wantonness of appetite he steals privately to her chambermaid so a wife ought not greatly to resent this i would never receive home a daughter who had run away from her husband on that account a wife should study to reclaim her husband by more attention to please him so a man will not once in a hundred instances leave his wife and go to a harlot if his wife has not been negligent of pleasing here he discovered that acute discrimination that solid judgment and that knowledge of human nature for which he was upon all occasions remarkable taking care to keep in view then moral and religious duty as understood in our nation he showed clearly from reason and good sense the greater degree of culpability in the one sex deviating from it than the other and at the same time inculcated a very useful lesson as to the way to keep him i asked him if it was not hard that one deviation from chastity should so absolutely ruin a young woman johnson why no sir it is the great principle which he has taught when she has given up that principle she has given up every notion of female honour and virtue which are all included in chastity a gentleman talked to him of a lady whom he greatly admired and wished to marry but was afraid of her superiority of talents Footnote. Boswell, in his correspondence with Temple in 1767 and 1768, passes in review the various ladies whom he proposes to marry. The lady described in this paragraph, for the gentleman is clearly Boswell, is the fair and lively Celide, a Dutch woman. She was translating his Corsica into French. On March the 24th, 1768, he wrote, I must have her. On April the 26th, he asked his father's permission to go over to Holland to see her. But on May the 14th, he forwarded to Temple one of her letters. Could, he said, any actress at any of the theatres attack me with a keener, what is the word, not fury, something softer? The lightning that flashes with so much brilliance may scorch, and does not her esprit do so? Letters of Boswell, pages 144 to 150, and a footnote. Sir, said he, you need not be afraid. Marry her. Before a year goes about, you will find that reason much weaker, and that wit not so bright. Yet the gentleman may be justified in his apprehension by one of Dr. Johnson's admirable sentences in his life of Waller. He doubtless praised many whom he would have been afraid to marry. Footnote. In the original it is some, not many. Johnson's Works, Volume 7, page 182, end of footnote. And perhaps married one whom he would have been ashamed to praise. Many qualities contribute to domestic happiness upon which poetry has no colours to bestow and many airs and sallies may delight imagination which he who flatters them never can approve he praised signor baretti his account of italy is a very entertaining book 
Footnote. An account of the manners and customs of Italy by Joseph Baretti, London, 1768. The book would be still more entertaining were it not written as a reply to Sharp's Letters on Italy. Post under April 29, 1776. End of footnote. And so I know no man who carries his head higher in conversation than Baretti. Footnote. Mrs. Piozzi wrote of him. His character is easily seen, and his soul above disguise, haughty and insolent, and breathing defiance against all mankind, while his powers of mind exceed most people's, and his powers of purse are so slight that they leave him dependent on all. Baretti is forever in the state of a stream dammed up. If he could once get loose, he would bear down all before him. Haywood's Piozzi, end of footnote. There are strong powers in his mind. He has not indeed many hooks, but with what hooks he has, he grapples very forcibly. At this time I observed upon the dial plate of his watch, footnote, according to Hawkins, life page 460, the watch was new this year, and was, he believed, the first Johnson ever had. End of footnote. A short Greek inscription taken from the New Testament. Nuxka Urkatai. Footnote. St. John, chapter 9, verse 4. In Prayers and Meditations, page 233, is the following. Ejaculation imploring diligence. O God, make me to remember that the night cometh where no man can work. Orson, in his witty attack on Sir John Hawkins, originally published in the Gentleman's Magazine for 1787, quotes the inscription as a proof of Hawkins' Greek. Nux Urkatai. The meaning is, says Sir John, for the night cometh, and so it is, Mr. Urban. Orson tracks, page 337, and a footnote. Being the first words of our Saviour's solemn admonition to the improvement of that time which is allowed to us to prepare for eternity, the night cometh when no man can work. He some time afterwards laid aside this dial plate, and when I asked him the reason, he said, It might do very well upon a clock which a man keeps in his closet. But to have it upon his watch, which he carries about with him, and which is often looked at by others, might be censured as ostentatious. Mr. Stevens is now possessed of the dial plate inscribed as above. End of section 8